Thanks very much for, um, for, coming to, for coming to the mission, for receiving me this week to, to preach this mission for you. It's uh, a big pleasure for me to do this. As many of you know, I'm a, a graduate of both the academy and of the college here, and I attended this mission many times uh, throughout my academic career at St. Mary's, so it's, it's nice to be able to, uh, to, to give back. <clears throat> if there's anyone who would like to do uh, some reading during this time in relation to what will be talked about, there are two books that I'd recommend. The, the first is by a Dominican named Pinkers, and it's called Living the Beatitudes. Living the Beatitudes. And the second, which is sort of the, the example in practice of the, uh, the, the theory that's presented in these conferences, is called St. Therese by Those Who Knew Her, which is the, the depositions from the canonization process of St. Therese of Lisieux, the testimonies from the sisters who were with her in the convent and from those who, who knew her when she was growing up. So, Living the Beatitudes and Therese by Those Who Knew Her. The, the plan of these conferences, as I don't know if the, the topic has been announced yet or not, but the general uh, theme of this mission will be happiness. So I thought you have to, to speak to your strengths, being the, the chubby, happy-looking priest. I'll talk about what comes naturally. So. Father Rulledge can talk about penance and mortification or thin guy. No, I have to be careful. I, um, I said that uh, this morning that since I was in high school, or sorry, in college with Father Rutledge during his, the year that he was here as a student before he went off to the seminary, I'd be willing to, uh, to tell stories about him after the conferences for anyone who wanted to hear them. And then I, I started to think after I opened my mouth, which is normally how it goes for me. But I started to think about all the stories that Father Rutledge could tell about me, and I decided to, uh, to, to keep silent. So, Not from a desire to save Father Rutledge, but to look out for my own skin. I don't think I'll be doing that. But he's still the priest to talk to about penance. He's a <laughs> sacrificial person, a good man. The, the general topic of these conferences will be happiness. That'll be the theme of the mission. <clears throat> this evening, uh, the conference will be on heaven and, and hell, seen in reference to heaven. Tomorrow, we'll talk about sin as the obstacle to happiness that's offered to us as Catholics, as Christians. Then Wednesday, we'll talk about our Lord under the aspect of being the, the teacher of happiness, the teacher of the Beatitudes. Then Thursday will be the Blessed Mother, whom we'll refer to as the, the, the Mother of Happiness. Not, of course, one of the Marian titles of Our Lady, but for the purposes of these conferences, it, it fits well. So we'll talk about Our Lady on Thursday, and then finally on Friday, we'll see St. Joseph, the, the father, or at least the, the foster father, the, the protector of the church and therefore the protector of those who want to live uh, a happy life.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There's a story, a fable, that comes to us from the ancient world about a shepherd in Greece, in Lydia, whose name was Gyges. This shepherd, in the course of tending his flock, came upon a, a cavern that was opened up by a landfall into the earth following a storm. Being curious as to what might be down there, Gyges left his flock and went to investigate. Inside that cave that had opened up in the earth, he found the dead body of someone who was of gigantic size, so not, not just chubby like me, but a, really a, a giant, with a gold ring on his finger, with a little signet, a little uh, emblem on the ring. Gyges took the ring and left the cave. A few days after that instance, he was at a meeting, a periodic meeting, that all of the shepherds had with each other to discuss their business, to discuss taking care of the flocks, what needed to be done for the king of Lydia, who received the, uh, the profit from their, from their shepherding. Gyges was sitting there with everyone else, and when he was sitting there at that meeting, he started to play around with the ring on his finger. He was turning it one way and then back the other way. And while he was doing that, he discovered that the ring, when you turn the signet down towards the palm, made him invisible. And then when he turned the signet back up to the top, he had become visible again. Gyges started to think about how he could use his newfound power for his advantage. And so he was named an ambassador for all the shepherds to go to the king of Lydia to give an annual report about their work. And when he went to see the king, he took his ring with him. He stayed where the king lived for several days, and he used the ring's invisibility to help him take over the kingdom himself. He seduced the queen, and with her help, killed the king, and became the king of Lydia. That story was told in the second book of Plato's Republic by Glaucon, uh, a dialoguer with, with Socrates, someone arguing with Socrates about what it meant to lead a good life. And Glaucon said that given the same lack of accountability, any human being would do the same thing. That if they were sure that they could do what they want and there wouldn't be consequences, they would all fulfill their desires and not try to do what was perceived to be good. 
according to Glaucon, the, the argument that he makes, is that human beings are only good because we want something else and we're willing to sacrifice it. And there you can insert whatever you want. For us as Catholics, he would have said, although that's an uh, a work of ancient literature, so before the, the preaching of the gospel, obviously. But he would say that as Catholics, we're good because we want to go to heaven. But being good isn't doing what we really would want to do. We do it because we have to. Nobody really wants to do their duty of state. They do it because they have to, and they know if they do, they'll save their soul. Nobody wants to dedicate themselves really to their family, but they'll do it because they have to, because they're willing to sacrifice what they would really want to go to heaven. Nobody would really want to come to a parish mission on the night of the NCAA National Championship game to do extra penance by listening to some visiting priest talk about who knows what, but you'll do it because you want to sacrifice, because you want to go to heaven. But again, being good isn't what you would really want. You do it to get something better, and that's really the only way. Of course, all of us want to go to heaven, I hope. And of course, all of us are willing to sacrifice to get there. However, that idea of life, it's not the same thing that our Lord says. When our Lord preaches his first sermon, his first big sermon, he talks about morality. He talks about the norms, the guidelines that influence our actions. And he talks about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the pure of heart, blessed are they. In Greek, the word that's used to refer to what our Lord's talking about is makarios. Makarios in Greek has a very specific meaning. It means happiness, but not just in a generic way. Makarios means a happiness that's complete and integral, missing nothing, that can never be diminished, that can never be taken away. Makarios is really to be sufficient. And when our Lord talks about happiness, and when he uses the word makarios, he doesn't seem to make much of a difference between heaven and earth. He just says, you're happy if. And you get the impression that our Lord's saying, the happiness in heaven is supposed to be the same 
maybe not in the same way, but at least fundamentally the same thing, as the way that you're supposed to be while you're living your life on earth. And that on earth and in heaven, you're good because it makes you truly happy. The exact opposite of what Glaucon would say. We're just good because we have to do it. And therefore, heaven is not something that's like a reward. It's something that's the fulfillment of a life that's consistent. Consistency means our actions have a coherence with who we are and where we're going. We act in a way that's consistent with the best in us, what's good in us, and in, a, in, co- in a coherence with what we're meant to be. So, what does that mean about heaven? What is heaven? Since obviously, none of us are currently in heaven, even if the happiness is fundamentally the same thing. If you think that you're currently in heaven when you're in Kansas in the middle of April and it's already 80 degrees and getting more humid by the hour, I would encourage you to see a good doctor because that's not really the realm of the spiritual life. What's heaven meant to be? One of the first times in the New Testament, not in the Old now, in the New Testament, where the passion and death of our Lord that we're going to act next week, not just remember, but really make it present, is when our Lord is presented in the temple to the old priest Simeon. It's when Simeon tells the Blessed Mother the famous prophecy about her heart being pierced by a sword so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, something that we'll talk more about when we talk about Our Lady on Thursday. When Simeon, a man of faith and a man who desires God, when he first saw our Lord, the first words out of his mouth are the beautiful canticle of the Nunc Dimittis that's sung at Compline every day. And Simeon says that now God can dismiss him from his service because he's seen the Messiah, he's seen God incarnate, and he doesn't need anything else. It's enough. Heaven is just that. It's when we can say, I can see God, and now I don't want anything else because, for me, that's enough. As we all know, we're creatures, human beings, who are restless. All human beings are restless. We constantly want things. Of course, we know 
how disastrous that can be for a person when those restless desires fixate on sin. When somebody begins to sin and moves from one sin to another, constantly committing worse and worse sins to keep himself distracted by pleasure from his life because he's unhappy. But human restlessness isn't just confined to wanting bad things. It's also expressed by wanting good things. We can be restless about our work. We can be restless about our family. We can be restless about our friendships or our occupations, our pastimes. Our restlessness and our desires can find expression in thousands of other ways that are good things. And in fact, our Catholic faith teaches us that that unfulfilled desire is a positive sign because it's the, let's call it an emotion, that triggers the virtue of hope, which is the virtue of the wayfarer, the, the person of faith alive in this earth, hope. All human desires point towards God because only God can fulfill all of those desires. And we're always going to have a little bit of restlessness. And we're always going to want to have something else. Because that's the way that we're made. We're made for God. And we're going to keep being that way until we see him. We're meant to want to completely give ourselves to someone. Not just something, but someone. And in relationships, we look for trust and friendship and love over and over and over again because deep down, our human soul knows that it's meant to be with someone whom it can trust completely, that it's meant to be with someone whom it can love completely, that it's meant to be with someone who's never going to disappoint us, God. Heaven is where that desire is finally fulfilled. And we can finally say with Simeon, nunc dimitis. Now, God, it's enough because now I can see you face to face. And for me, well, that's enough. I don't want anything else. Our ideas of heaven and hell and of the afterlife are influenced by images that we're all familiar with. Devils with pitchforks, flames, little naked babies with just a, a white cloth wrapped around them, floating on top of clouds, strumming harps. And that imagery makes us sort of stop thinking about the afterlife and heaven and hell because they're mentally not very stimulating and they're not very relatable. It's important to understand that heaven is happiness 
on God's terms and not on our terms. And that happiness on God's terms isn't going to be the fulfillment of our desires. It's going to surpass them. You're not just going to be as happy as you want to be in heaven. That would be demeaning God's intentions. The happiness that he intends for you exceeds your desire. People often think about friends or family whom they they have on this earth who have perhaps passed on and hope that they're in heaven so that they can have that friendship and that relationship with them in heaven that they enjoyed on earth. And I sincerely hope that anyone like that in your life will be there. But if they are, and if you are, your relationship there is not going to be the same way that it was on earth. It's going to be better. You're not going to have the same love for your mother or your father or your grandparents or your siblings or your friends or anyone else that you've had on earth in heaven. You're going to have a better love. A love that's not mixed at all with selfishness because it's a love that's constantly infused by the fire that comes from the presence of the living God. Heaven is happiness on God's terms. Our Lord, when he suffers and dies next week, he's going to do it being fundamentally happy. Now, he's going to express sadness at the rejection, at the pain of uh, the, the, the spiritual, the psychological, and the physical pain that he endures for us. He's going to be suffering, of course. But deep inside of him, there's a happiness there that sin and suffering and the devil can't take away. And it's still there in the passion. And it's, you could say, even more so there in the passion. Because he knows that he's pleasing his father and he knows that he's showing his love for us. A human being, a a person doesn't have a greater love than to lay down their life for their friends. He knows that and that conviction gives him a happiness on God's terms that makes his passion meaningful. Understanding what happiness is makes sacrifice meaningful. Without that, we're constantly going to be disappointed because our vision of what our lives should be and are, it's not the same as God's. We don't understand things like he does. We don't see things like he does. We're too selfish. We're too self-centered. We have to accept the happiness that God offers us on faith and faith alone. And we have to understand that when we are in heaven, as we hope that everyone here will one day be, we're going to be happy in a way that's not the way that we would want. It's a way that's better.
And that happiness that surpasses us is what God intends for us. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth to lead us to heaven. And we know that in one and the same action, our Lord came to this earth to save us from hell. We've seen what heaven is. What about hell? In order to best describe it, I'd like to use a story that's told from the experiences of an exorcist. An exorcist writing about his ministry, he said that once he was talking to a demon and a possessed person, which just reading that story, you see uh, the uh, unique life and vocation that, that an exorcist has. He says it almost as though we would say, I was talking to a friend the other day, or I was talking to a non-Catholic, or I was talking to my mother. <laughs> One day, I was talking to a demon. Don't tell him I said hello. And he said, he asked the demon, which is dangerous, but he was a very good exorcist, so he knew what he was doing. He asked the demon, say that there are two people who hate each other on earth. They can't stand each other. They really, really don't like each other. And their whole lives, they have that hatred. Say, both of them go to hell. When they're in hell, are they going to hate each other like they did when they were on earth? Reading the story, I expected the devil to answer yes, because hell is a place of hatred. So you would think that they would probably hate each other more than they did on earth. But that, that's not what the answer was. The demon responded, you stupid priest, you don't understand anything. In hell, each person only thinks about themselves, no one else, just themselves. They don't think about anybody else's suffering they don't think about anybody else's life. Only, maybe except, to compare it to their own and make their own suffering greater. Hell is a place of selfishness. It's the place of supreme selfishness. It's the place where a person is left with themselves and not God for all eternity. And they want to stay there with themselves. The three children at Fatima asked the Blessed Mother, 
could God, by his almighty power, if he wanted to, not that he would, but could he take a soul from hell and save them and bring them to heaven? If he wanted to. And Our Lady answered, of course, but they wouldn't want it. They would want to stay in hell because they just want themselves. They're just selfish. We think about the afterlife as a reward and a punishment, and that's not wrong, but it's not completely right either. Heaven isn't just the reward of a good life and a hell the punishment for a bad one. Heaven is the logical result of the choices that we make our entire life long. And hell is the logical and final selfish choice of a life of selfishness. And although, of course, God judges souls and it's by God's judgment that somebody goes to heaven, or down to hell, they're there because they choose to be there, ultimately. They're there because they want to be there. And that's why you can say, in a way, that somebody living a life of sin, he's not going to go to hell. He's already in hell. He's already in the unhappiness of being stuck with himself and not God. But of course, it's not exactly the same thing as hell because by the grace of God, he can get out of it. However, in the state that he's in currently, he is in a way in hell. And a soul, and we know this from our Catholic faith, who's living in the grace of God, it's not that he's going to go to heaven, he's already in heaven because he already has the possession of God in his soul. Of course, not in the same way. Here it's, as St. Paul says, through a glass in a dark manner, and in heaven it's face to face. But substantially, it's the same. It's God. In heaven, we will see God. And on earth, when we live a good life, we will see through faith God. And that's happiness. Please really realize what happiness is and what happiness isn't. It's not our own thoughts about what could make us happy. That's selfishness. It is and it eternally will be being with the one who really loves us, being with God himself. And that happiness can only be stopped by one thing, which we'll see tomorrow, the obstacle of sin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.